Welcome to the Humans of Hospitality podcast. I know so many of you listening to this show love your local bar, your local restaurant, maybe your local hotel, and have so many fond memories of time in hospitality businesses. This is the podcast where we get to chat to the human beings behind the scenes of that industry. Maybe the chefs or the bakers or the coffee roasters or the gin distillers or the craft brewers or the entrepreneurs, but all doing an amazing job of making sure that hospitality stays interesting and the big dull formulaic brands do not take over our high street please enjoy the show In this week's conversation, I get to chat to Pete Joy from Bakehouse 24. Now, Pete's name has come up numerous times in conversation, and it was great to finally get to sit down and have a chat. And for someone who had no business plan but thought he'd be all right because there was a Waitrose just around the corner, Pete is doing pretty well. His love of mixing and kneading emerged out of the blue one night when his housemates were at a band practice. And having the place to himself, he decided not to do the normal thing, like maybe order a Chinese, but to bake a cake instead. And it turned out this wasn't a one-off. Pete soon developed a serious baking habit, which led to a a 3am to midday job at a pioneering sourdough bakery under a Hackney railway arch. In this programme, you're going to hear how the man with no plan is successfully building a team of sourdough bakers, one of whom is also a potter, across his two sites in Dorset, and why he gets a little bit ranty on the topics of gluten intolerance and interpretations of the word sourdough. But by the end of the conversation, you too will be sympathising. I very much hope you enjoy this week's chat. Pete Joy, thank you so much for sparing the time for me to come and have a chat in your uh, in your wonderful bakehouse. It's quite all right. Can you just explain to me uh, where are we on planet Earth? <laughs> we are in um, the office slash changing room slash general dumping ground of uh, Bakehouse Twenty Four in Ringwood. It's um, our main bakery site where. We've got a small little cafe um, and then the, the whole production space where we, we make all of our, our bread and cakes and, and whatnot, really. Perfect. I think it's come up numerous times now in this podcast that all of the money in the early days is dedicated to front of house. Uh, <laughs> I was actually impressed when we came into your changing room slash cupboard slash office slash store <laughs> uh, because it's huge compared to uh, some. But uh, yeah, I end up sat in some very weird places. Yeah, I can podcast. imagine. I was tempted to put you in the dry store, but I thought that would be really, uh, really? odd. I did um, one in a cellar. David Sachs was the, the wine cellar, yeah, which yeah, was yeah. lovely. It looked very grand, but it was freezing. It was like kept at about nine <laughs> degrees. So well, I didn't uh, hear you shivering on it. No. No, is that, but it kept it, it kept it reasonably short, so no, this is great. Um, so we're going to get into uh, what you do now and a little bit of stuff around the industry, but I just want to start off with your history. So, uh, Bacon, when did this start? Tell me how you got into it. Would have been, so I've been here for three years, my previous job for six, about, I suppose, ten years ago or so. Um, so how old are you then? Oh, God, uh, 23. <laughs> 23, now. Okay. yeah, 23, so, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, so I, just at home, really, doing it for myself. Um, was this locally to here? I know, I was living in London at the time with a couple of mates. Okay. Oh, was this uh, the mates that were in the band? Yeah, yeah, cool. yeah. I they, did hear about that. Yeah, yeah. They, were, yeah they, they were in a band. and <laughs> They were the cool ones. Yeah, yeah, very much so. They'd go to band practice on a uh, Wednesday, Tuesday or Wednesday evening, and I'd end up having the house to myself, and... Um, 
one day I made a cake, <laughs> which is just, you know, I think about it and I think that's, it was a weird thing for me uh, to had do. Had you shown any interest before that? Or? I, I enjoyed cooking, uh, but I hadn't right. done any baking um, and did that. And I think I phoned my mum up just to, you know. Show off? Yeah, just be like, <laughs> you'll never guess what I've just done. Um, and she didn't guess, obviously. And But then realised that it was actually quite a wholesome thing for me to be doing. And yeah, uh, She could have been worried about it was girls or drugs or something. Well, no, yeah, what, what sort of cake was it? All of those things. Do you remember? But, um, yeah, she then uh, yeah, bought me loads of books and equipment and, you know, just... And I just went from there. So every Wednesday night when my mates were at band practice, I'd do some baking. They'd come <laughs> home half drunk and I'd be like, right, I've made this. Yeah. And they'd eat it and, yeah, yeah that was they, that. And they, so, they must have loved you. Did you still have to pay rent or did you just... <laughs> uh, yeah, 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 yeah. I tried to avoid it, obviously. But, um, yeah, so that that was good. It was, um, it was a good time just to learn what I was doing and then... What so, were you What was your, Were you studying at the time or were you, did you... No, I was just or? working in a pub right. and a... Good old time to be honest, yeah, and, nice. and yeah, they, that was some wholesome activity, and that's what what sort of that's quite unusual, isn't it? As a trajectory, normally it's kind yeah. of like you know I've done it since I was six. I've been baking with yeah, granny, but you just woke up one day and said, yeah, yeah. And my mates were at band practice instead of getting a Chinese. I'm yeah, I mean the, it was absolutely awful as well. I, I, I saw a picture of it for the first time uh, the other day, and wow. Uh, I was judging, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah it's an odd thing to do for sure, but well, it. it did your mates? Uh, how did they respond? Yeah, they were always they were always pretty positive, and uh, that's good. There were some successful things and some less successful things, and um, yeah, it just I don't know. It just started something, I suppose. Yeah. So you then decided, right? I'm going to go out of the pub and get a job. Was that um, kind of? Yeah, I through a friend of a friend, um, I got told about a chap who's starting a bakery in a railway arch in Hackney, and. Um, and it just seemed a bizarre thing to do, like in a in a railway arch. I was like, really? I, I couldn't picture it, and I just went along. I wanted to have see what it was, and and he was amazing. He had you know loads of bowls of dough, and it was all fermenting and all sort of um, spilling out, and um, didn't look like he had much control of what was going on. But was just like, look, if you want to have a chat, stick this apron on and give me a hand. I'll direct you with what I need you to do. So they'd just opened it at this point? Yeah, they? it's just a, a small little bakery in a shared kitchen called E5 Bakehouse. And, yeah, just went along and volunteered, really, and for a couple of weeks. And, and um, weirdly, he had done some um, filming with uh, Michelle Rue Jr., that aired on. As you a, do. Yeah, yeah. It was just what, you know, just for him, it was the right location and the right time. And, right. and yeah, this program aired, and, um, and it was only like a little five minute clip. And uh, the next day, I think we sold out of bread with, by 10 o'clock. And it was at that point, Ben had, had realised that it's about to get very busy. And, and I quit the pub and, and went and started working for him. And there's a group of, I don't know, probably five or six of us and we were nobody had done any formal training so it was all learning on the job and everyone was super enthusiastic and so it's just a, a case of all a of a sudden the band were the less cool that sounds quite cool a railway yeah, it, arch it, baking it, cakes in hackney i would yeah, imagine you were bang on vogue wouldn't you yeah i mean hackney wasn't quite the hackney it is now but it was um it was certainly at that time when it was just changing and um it was it was a complete flip-flop on my life uh, rather than getting in at 3am I was getting up at 3am and it took a, a little while to adjust yeah. but um, you know it was amazing what? to be given that chance and 
by someone who, you know, how does he know how, if I could do any of what he was asking me to do? And yeah, he just gave 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 me a go. And amazing. So, what was your actual job, literally? Making bake, 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 bake making sourdough bread in 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 the bakery, and it mm. was um, yeah, we sort of went from this very small shared kitchen um, when I first started there, and then when I left there three three and a half years ago, um, he they now have three railway arches. They grow wheat in Sussex or Suffolk, one of the two. Um, they mill it on site in Hackney. Wow. Um, the, they have a, a very good ethos with everything they do, work a lot with the Refugee Council. They, It's a, it's a very inspiring place yeah. and it's a wonderful place to start. That's to, amazing. Sort of, so they went from literally from nothing to that in six years? Yeah, yeah, I guess. Um, yeah, Ben's when he started it and I, I do break making classes here and I can't, some people do ask me how I started things and I do tell them and I find it interesting and he he started in his kitchen and he would walk uh, the bread to a pizza shop bake it in their pizza oven and then sell it door to door and that was how he started and and you just think about it you think oh, that's pretty darn impressive. It is, yeah, right? yeah. And I've, I've always found that inspiring, and that he just just gave it a go. So nice. Kind of one of the reasons why I thought, well, I should give it a go you down will, here and see what we'll happens. Do the same. And if so, do you literally start work at three o'clock in the morning? Yes, that's that's what time you're in the. In yeah, the bakery. yeah. The three of us. Uh, there's three of us baking today. We started at three. Really, I've lost my mind. What time do you finish? It depends. Uh, some days midday. Some days I'll stay until five p.m. Wow. This is why you're on your uh, what is it five shots of coffee in the last twelve minutes or something? <laughs> yeah. It's a, it's yeah, a that Friday. Was, that was somewhat accidental, o'clock. but yeah, um, uh, yeah. I, yeah. I, I just this is the kind of the points of this podcast. When I train my uh, my team and I do inductions, I often say, and, and it was one of the motivations for launching this podcast because the people don't appreciate the work. But I always say. You know, we sell something as simple as a burger, and I'm kind of like, you just got to imagine how many people are involved. And I might have told this story on the podcast before, so I'll keep it short. But how many people are involved just in that one dish? And the one that I always refer to is the baker. I'm like, that baker. I think mm. I've always said four. I didn't realize it was three. I, I've got well, even it, more admiration for you it now. Depends. It depends. But it, but you you guys, you know, like, have you got kids? Or? No, not yet. No. But uh, but those bakers who like have never taken their kids to school because their dedication yeah, yeah, yeah. to their profession—that's the sacrifice they've made. Yet people just go out and buy a burger or a bread roll and think nothing of it. But behind that. Are you mental buggers doing your thing? So why do you have to start at 3am? Well, the process in which we choose to to make our bread with is we're we're based really on as a a sourdough bakery, um, using our sourdough cultures to make the bread rise. And doing that, it's a much slower process. It's something that kind of... I get told quite a lot at the moment that it's, uh, you know, I'll do it because it's cool or, you know, it's in fashion. Well... Yes, that might be the case, but it's also because it's much better for you. It has better digestibility. There's so many reasons for doing it that it's not just because it's, it's in pres- vogue. Yeah, it's presumably because it's the right way to make bread. But let's well, let's start there because yeah. a lot of people listen will have no idea. We all see the word sourdough. We all hear it. Sourdough yeah, pizza yeah. bases and all this kind of stuff. Can you want to just go run through the difference between your average Joe blogs go into the shop and buy a loaf of bread and a, and a proper sourdough? What's the actual difference? Well, so a proper sourdough loaf will be leavened, will be risen with a sourdough culture, which is just flour and water given a time to ferment um, the, the lactobacilli, the bacteria within there, naturally occurring yeast will 
have a certain balance to them and that will make the bread rise it will give it distinctive sour flavor um and and that's really what a true sourdough is and it it can't be really you know knocked out in a couple of hours it does take time we are sort of our signature loaf here we're probably it's about 36 hours from start to finish um it's a you know it takes a long old time and and before that you do get the flavor you do get the texture it is a weighty loaf of bread you know, a, tr a true sourdough will be that whereas if you use baker's yeast and i don't really have anything against baker's yeast so, like, we use it in some of our products but it's it's um it should be used in the right way there are lots of recipes where you know you chuck in a couple of sachets of dried yeast and it, you get a very instant rise but actually you don't get any benefit from that there's no nutritional benefit you know, no no flavor to that um and so the sourdough culture will give you that and uh there's no one of the weird things there's no actual legislation on what you can and can't call sourdough so we could nip over to sainsbury's buy their sourdough bull or whatever they want to call it and it has no sourdough culture in there. I'll have some sourdough flavouring, usually vinegar, and and they'll knock it out for you know three quid a loaf. Whereas does that irritate you by any chance? <laughs> uh, does it sound like it? Oh uh, well, I'm just you know I, uh, maybe. yeah no because well, yeah. I'm just thinking. So this this replicates the conversation I've had. I've had it with boutique hotel and how do you define boutique? How do you define craft yeah. beer? Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, in in every sector, yeah, somebody the, notices the craft gin. It was mentioned yeah exactly well. yeah it's craft just... gin, it, uh, and that's kind of again the point of having these conversations if people would just ask the questions because yeah. it you know ask whether it pisses you off it pisses me off yeah. oh, it, because it's it's it just yeah like you said most people won't look into the difference and why and the fact mm. that you've had to get up at two or whatever yeah, to be yeah. in there at three to do I it just, properly i think there, there just needs to be a bit of integrity about it really and i don't think having a loaf on a supermarket shelf that calls itself a sourdough but actually it's been made in, a, in an hour and six minutes in a chorley wood process which is how a lot of supermarket bread is made and you think well actually that isn't any good for anyone yep. and it isn't doing what it what it claims to do and not that it necessarily claims to do something but it so, so as well as being faster it, you, it loses some of its nutritional quality does yeah, it, as yeah, well yeah. as flavour well, and, and I mean I don't want to get into a chat about gluten too early because it's. <laughs> you don't want to speak too early. Is that coming? Well, well, uh... I just get a little bit ranty. I probably I would yeah. imagine it's being gluten free has is a bit of a thing. Yeah. You know, very popular at the moment to say you're gluten free, but it's. Don't worry, you can go early. Just you, <laughs> yeah. you've started. Yeah, I've yeah. started now. So yeah. it's. The problem with me, the problem I have for people who say they're gluten intolerant is that actually I think they're intolerant to the processes of the product they're eating. If it's not been made in the correct way or has been made in a way that speeds it up dramatically, so you know, you, get, you can get your sliced white loaf and you screw it up into a ball and it returns to more like a dough-like substance. Whereas you get a slice of proper sourdough, you screw that up into a ball and it then unravels into its baked form. And I think when you're eating that, no wonder you can eat your, your crap bread and feel bloated and feel a whole number of symptoms. Because actually 40, 50 years ago, we changed the bread making process entirely um, on the whole. And, and no wonder there's a spike in people saying who that, that they're gluten intolerant. And that, I don't, you know, there are people who do suffer from, you know, celiac, celiac disease and yep. things like that. And, and our baker Mark, his 
his partner and, and, and daughter, they're both celiacs, which I find mad that, yeah. you know, he is a baker, works with wheat, gets covered in it and then has to go home and and can't have any bread in the house. Get hosed down in the Yeah, 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 I think he must do. <laughs> um, but, yeah, it's it's just a it's a very popular question. It's, yeah. oh, do you, what gluten-free bread do you do? It's like, well, we don't yeah. because, A, the, it's an open kitchen mm. and we couldn't guarantee it and I don't think it's... I don't think it's really bread. I think bread's yeah. very much based on yeah. So, so some some products are really easy to do gluten free. Yeah, so I've, like I've sat there with honey buns around her cakes and yeah, actually yeah, yeah. using like kind of ground almonds and stuff like that instead of exactly flour. Exactly that. Yeah. And that, but that's actually you know arguably enhancing quality. The objective there wasn't get rid of the gluten. The objective was do a richer, more decadent cake. Yeah, but well, I do agree a hundred percent is that uh, yeah you just want to say to people just unless you're celiac just try it because just buy better yeah uh, eat, more eat, often eat less than not, eat better i think if you eat something that's made properly a properly made sourdough loaf that's been fermented for um a proper amount of time people will more often than not find that they can digest it okay yeah. after all sourdough bread was made first made six thousand years ago by the egyptians so why now is it the root of all evil and nobody can digest it I think it's a bit, you know, the bastardization mm, of the process. <laughs> yeah, but. seems odd. So were we making bread? So again, knowing the difference, I suppose, between the, the, the two styles of bread, but UK-based, were mm-hmm. we making bread in, in more of that traditional sense ourselves? If you go back 100 years, rather um, than when we made the change we, 50, 60 years, is sourdough a British thing no, for a long time, of, or it, did it come it, over late? It, 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 it's kind of... There, there's, Obviously, French bread, French baking, French bread has always had a, a, a very good history of it, um, and I think with with Britain, a lot of things kind of passed us by, and, and for, for a variety of reasons, I think you know World War Two and rationing and things like that, where people were told to grow quickly and produce masses, and you can kind of see why it all happened, but. So the the emergence of baker's yeast would have really exploded then, and and. You know, people would have realised that they can make something that was, um, you know, a lot cheaper and a lot quicker than than doing than a sourdough process. So I, th- I, do, I do think sort of that style of baking really was more prominent here. Whereas in, in France, not so much. It was more, you know, a bit more authentic. Um, San Francisco's always been renowned as, you know. Um, uh, a great place for sourdough. It's why, you know, Marks and Spencer will have their San Francisco sourdough, which is just in some ways a bit of a marketing gimmick, but it's because it's renowned for its bread. Um, but yeah, I think it, it did. It has passed us by, and and also sort of some of the the grains and some of the flours, like rye breads, aren't that popular really in the UK. Whereas on the continent, Scandinavia, Germany, Russia, they're everywhere, and. They develop gluten, but it develops differently. So it's, a, a, again, a bit easier on the digestive system. The flavour's amazing. Like a like a, an open sandwich on, on rye. It's just incredible. But it, I think it just has passed us by. Mm, and um, has that better nutritional content as yeah. well, because you keep the, the wheat germ in. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The bits so it's, that are good for you from the grains. Yeah, so I, I do just think that our sort of food culture just got yeah. affected by 
you know, by yeah. rationing and, and that sort of... Which comes back to what you were saying earlier about, you know, yeah, it's in vogue and uh, and is this just a fashion, I suppose. Is I, I do think it's uh, we're just getting back to that authenticity and it seems yeah. to be the same in lots of industries. I was chatting to Simon um, from Hattingley about wine a couple of weeks ago mm-hmm. and about how we missed, uh, or, you know, we were never very good at wine and why was that? Because actually... You know, we've got the same kind of soil as you've got in the Champagne region. Uh, our climate clearly has an impact, but we are now learning. And not only are we learning, we're innovating. And where we're not buried in the tradition of uh, yeah, 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 you know, yeah. we're actually innovating really fast and we're becoming really good at stuff. So across multiple areas, it does seem that we are now having a, a bit of a food revolution. Yeah, and a, which, is, which is a wonderful thing to sort of, of you know see going on. And, and there are a lot of people doing, like you say, amazing things. And it's... Um, I think that, yeah, not having that tradition so sort of ingrained in you is is a is a good thing that you can. You've got anyone just go. Oh, I'm going to give that a go. Yeah, definitely. And, and in fact, yeah, even William Curley from the Chocolatier that I was chatting to, and mm. um, we mentioned before we started this, uh, said with regard to being inventive with chocolate flavors, he uses some really interesting flavors like rosemary, honey, lavender, thyme, whatever they might be. Mm. Uh, but if he was in a you know a really traditional uh, Brussels oh, village, upon. yeah, they'd be like, well, you know, what is this? You know, yeah. it's like this isn't actual chocolate. Whereas in England, and particularly I guess in 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 London, um, you can just be a lot more uh, experimental because we seem to now be willing to to try different stuff yeah yeah yeah, definitely it's um yeah it's a great thing to see and i moving from london down down here i was a bit sort of unsure as to what i'd find yeah well that's a nice little link actually so you've done my job for me so i let you go (laughs) let you rant early i got that out your system so i want to go back what was the trigger then so you're in e5 you've been this amazing journey you've learned all of this stuff presumably because you i'm guessing you didn't know about the six thousand year old history of uh, sourdough Um, before e5 yeah no Um, i I sort of learned everything when i was there really and then Um, something happens where you think right i'm gonna get out of uh out uh, of the city what was the trigger i've just done eight or nine years in london and it just gets to that point i think you either are there for the long haul or it's like actually i think i'm done now okay because you're from ringwood originally yeah yeah right. yeah grew up here and um and when i started making bread at e5 i always thought this ringwood would would definitely have a market for it and mostly based on the fact that there's a waitrose around the corner right <laughs> if there's a waitrose yeah. you're probably all right yeah you're safe um and and so i had always had this idea i'd love to do it myself i'd love to give it a go um and then yeah was was very fortunate that um had someone sort of um make me an offer that i couldn't refuse in in terms of finance and, and then it's just trying to sort of find as spot. in somebody offered to lend you some money yeah okay, yeah and on. it's just trying to find a spot so this is somebody believed in your yeah 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 very much so and it was then trying to sort of which in some ways was great because I didn't actually write a business plan, yeah. and I didn't. And in some ways, that's brilliant. It hasn't held me back because you kind of, if you've got a business plan, you can get a bit too focused on that, and you have to do it by. You've justified what, that to yourself, haven't you? Yeah, yeah. massively, <laughs> absolutely massively. But uh, yeah, I, uh, you're um, right. But uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, so yeah, it was just winging it for want of a better word. Yeah. Um, I saw this shop, and it was had been empty for about three years. But as soon as I saw it, I kind of pictured exactly how I wanted it, where it sort of split into three, where it used to be three old shops. And then years ago, it got knocked into one large one. I could see the division between two thirds baking space, one third retail. So we could have a small little cafe. Um, and I could just knew that my oven would fit in a recess in the, 
next to sort of a little cupboard and it just kind of all made sense to me so it's like right well that's the shop and yeah. and it's very visual isn't it you literally everything you can see the bread yeah made and for, either from outside in the windows or when you're sat in the cafe it's... yeah very much so and and at e5 it they're in long thin railway arches and we had the, there was a cafe at the front and then you could see if you looked <laughs> past everything you could see people making and working away um and at e5 to use the toilet you had to walk through the baking area everything it was always i found it quite bizarre but one day i was rolling out some baguettes and this lady with her child stopped and just were watching me for about five minutes and it, it was just in complete silence and i was just i don't know probably out of awkwardness i just said why are you watching me what's interesting about this and they said well i've never seen someone shape a baguette before that's wonderful yeah. and from that point i then just thought well actually you don't see that and so if you can you know you have open kitchens in restaurants or whatever and if you can make it open and see people sort of can see what you're doing and see that you're only using flour water and a bit of salt there's no additives going in there it's nothing's hidden behind the door actually that's is interesting and so, so three years on we'll have people sat there i was making bread earlier and uh a couple came and sat down and said, oh, this is great. We can watch what's going on. Yeah. It's quite odd when you're working, but... Yeah, yeah true. Well, I expect, yeah, you, you forget. You've also got to remember, so, you know, in, in the restaurant scene, open plan kitchens are dangerous because they're often very hot, very angry chefs swearing at each other in oh, service. Oh, you get that so, in a bakery as well. Yeah. Okay. 3am's <laughs> all right. I suppose you just got to remember when the customers have arrived. And, yeah, uh, yeah. And, and you're One of my bakers, Pippa, thought I had Tourette's that only lasted until about 8am <laughs> when we opened... <laughs> And then you were cured. And then apparently I don't swear after that. But, yeah. uh, well done. Yeah. <laughs> so impressed. most uh, food businesses fail in their first 24 months. How was the first 12 months, 24 months for you? Did you, did you open the doors? And, and were you instantaneously as you are now? Were you uh, cafe and uh, yeah, yeah, bakery? It, it kind of looked pretty similar to what, what we are now. Um, albeit we now have staff and we didn't at the start. It was just a case of... Just you? Uh, me and my, my partner at the time. Um and we had a few people help us out. And one of the reasons why I wanted to do it in Ringwood is that I've got a lot of family and friends still here and it kind of helps you... You have feel like you've got a Somebody will buy network. something, couldn't it? Mum will, mum will buy yeah, a loaf. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Buy, buy some bread. Yeah, yeah definitely. And, um, yeah, and that was that. And it was... I just thought, I've got the support network, so that's going to help. And, um, yeah, we had a few people help out, volunteers, a few sort of um, young 16-year-olds behind the till on a Saturday and whatnot. And, yeah, I mean, the first day, I hadn't really planned about customers. I hadn't really thought about that dynamic. And I thought, oh, well, I'll open the door at 8 o'clock and then somebody will walk in at some point and buy a loaf of bread. The weird thing was is that somebody came in at 5 a.m. and was just like, have you got anything ready yet? No, on day one. Yeah, yeah. And it it kind of took... Were they on the way to Waitrose? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. But And he's come back in on the same day. Because it's the same... The day we opened was on Ringwood Carnival, which is a thing they do in September every year. And he comes back every year for this carnival because of family connections. And he comes in at about 5am every day, or every um, carnival day. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's bizarre, but it kind of took that first transaction, yeah. the gloss of that, that excitement out of it. But um, I, I didn't mind it because it, no, uh, it just got the ball rolling. And, yeah, it's changed quite a bit in the... In the first two years now, year three is, um, you know, I've got a a small army of people working and. So was the response was good? Was Ringwood was ready? You know, did did you get people coming in going, "What the hell are you?" I don't know. What was the competition like? Are there many bakeries already here? Um, There there are some um, sort of craft bakeries, that sort of traditional. 
like your tinned cottage loaf, that kind of thing. But um, mm. not doing what, what, what we're doing. Um, one of the questions that we get a, or we got a lot at the start was why we didn't make white bread. Well, actually, the thing is, is that we're using a white flour that's milled down in Shaftesbury by, by a chap called Michael Stoke. Um, and it's a stone ground organic white flour. And so it's actually quite creamy in colour. So it doesn't look this brilliant white that you're mm. kind of told is white flour. Yeah. Whereas, whereas actually that's been bleached and yeah. this is just organic and stone ground. It's much better for you. Nothing's had to be added back into it. And that was a quite a hard sort of sell to start with. But there were enough people that who were just wanting something different. The options of what were in Waitrose and, and Sainsbury's, which are the two supermarkets in the town, were non-existent really and so people were just up for coming in and giving it a go amazing michael stoke i've met actually so he'll be probably by the time this goes out there'll be a podcast so if oh, anybody's I'll, listening I'll, who wants to go and listen to michael then well, it'll I look be, forward to it it'll be there i think it's a, it's a couple fella. of weeks away but yeah it's a, it's a call cool, i think there's been a mill there i remember something like it was definitely over a thousand i can't remember if it was a thousand yeah. or five thousand years yeah, but in that particular location it's uh, amazing incredible. i had to go there the other day we ran out of flour <laughs> due to a bit of a mishap in the ordering by myself. But um, right. so I had to nip over to Shaftesbury, fill the van up and, and then come back. And he gave me a tour of the mill. And it's just a wonderful thing to see because you yeah, don't, it's not often you'll see a st stone ground. Yeah. Water mill. Yeah. yeah. Just, and, and he's, uh, cause, you know, I <laughs> use the word eccentric, but his, uh, his ability to kind of mix old and new engineering because yeah. he comes from an engineering mm. background. He's got old wooden kind of sieves oh, mixed in with yeah, new yeah, stuff he's made. Then you've got the actual stone grinder itself. Uh, fascinating, but yeah, really good quality product, I think. Yeah. So I've you know, been told so many times and had this conversation with chefs, the key thing in our industry is, you know, Start with really, really good ingredients. Yeah. And then I'm, I, I, I don't want to swear too much on this, but fun, yeah, basically don't cock them up. Let's use that word instead. Yeah. But start yeah, with yeah, something yeah. really good, and then our job's just to, you know, just to tweak those ingredients and send them out the other door. So people yeah. like Michael it's one of the, provide something good for one you. One of the things that really triggered my imagination was so within bread was the you're starting with something that is flour and water and salt, very basic ingredients, and yeah. you can create some amazing flavours and amazing things with just those things, and sort of the alchemy of it, just still now, I just think about it, and you think yeah. the potential to different flavours and things is... Um, yeah. It's pr quite exciting, really. I mean, that's probably a bit sad. No, 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 it's, I do, I think it's... I, yeah, and, and weird that it can be so different oh, yeah. so many just, times. Just make, make a few small changes to how you're fermenting something, how you're proving something, and, and you can get different, a whole host of different flavours, how you're baking something. It's, um, it's kind of something that within the first three years of the business, I've not done much experimenting of playing with stuff because you're kind of in the throes of just the daily grind. And, um, and now it's sort of beginning to find time, pockets of time where... We've got a really solid team now that, you know, they have great ideas. So I just want them to experiment as much as they can. When I've got time, I'll, I'll do bits and bobs. And it's just a good, a good way to, to spend your days, really. Mm. Was it difficult to get consistency in those early days then? Because, because of the, like you say, the chemistry that's involved and the fact it can yeah. be so different? Yeah, but I think my, yeah, it, it, it does have moments where you know, something's not fermenting as you think it would, the slight sort of variance in the in the flour for whatever reason. And and it does take a bit of um bit of figuring out. But I I felt that six six years at E five really just to me in, in good stead to yeah. 
to deal with things and you know stuff just happens and uh, you know if you burn a, a whole you know, 18 loaves of bread in one go you just have to hold your hand up and say that was my fault I'm yeah. sorry we've not got any bread today yeah. and people will react to that and have a bit of a laugh and you know laugh at you, yeah. you just have to take it I, I, and I love that that's that's you know when you're close to your supply chain I have this debate sometimes with, with uh, people coming into the restaurant who say you know there's no fish on your specials tonight and mm. you kind of go have you looked out the window yeah. it's been blowing a, a, a 4, 7 or 8 for the last yeah. 4 days the boats haven't gone out that's what happened yeah, in, a real, yeah. in a real restaurant the, the boats haven't gone out there are no fish like they haven't landed any fish mm. so we haven't got any and uh, yeah that, that's yeah, kind that, of the human element of our food chain is the bit we've lost with this yeah, fact we there's, can get there's not that asparagus 365 days a year we forget now that oh yeah actually that's had to be grown you know around the globe at different times but anyway I'll start a rant if we start <laughs> off on that it's one easily done. Um, so one of the key things then the, the difference this time is is you're uh, an employer rather than an employee and you've had to recruit a team how's yeah, the mental. actual business side you know how did it feel when you first had to start bringing people in and creating this team um how did it first feel? I did, a relief. Yeah, just, yeah, there's somebody else. <laughs> yeah, when I first started, in, you know, I think seven months of doing 100 hours a week was just brutal. And I knew that it was never going to be 40-hour weeks and it's never going to be that because, you know... You, you well, if you start at 3am, there's too many hours in the day, yeah, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. You're never going to get it down. But no, it, I've been really, really lucky, to be honest. We've, I don't think we've really employed someone that's not turned out great and who's brought something to the business it, it, like the, the bakers are all really really solid we've got a really good mix of um of experience some have worked at, at a few bakeries in london um mark i mentioned him earlier he's baked in uh in salisbury um we've got a, a girl who um does a bit of part-time work with us so she comes and shapes bread maybe two or three times a week but she's actually um, a potter in Boscombe. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, Home Throne Studios is what she's called. And it, it's absolutely amazing. And she just brings a really nice dynamic that just, you know, you never have a crap day when she's just... Really? Um, I suppose there's a similar skill set there, but well, shaping bread, shaping pots. Is it I, 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 th I keep on threatening her that I will go and uh, show her how it's done on the, <laughs> on the potter's wheel, but I, I'll be honest, it won't, it won't end well. Um, yeah, I, I think there's a lot more skill involved yeah. in what she's these, doing. So these are um, I'm going off on a tangent here, but these are handmade pots that she, yeah, she yeah, then yeah. sells, what, directly to the public? Or I think she does it um, like, uh, through a website at markets. I live in um, Boscombe, so I'm yeah. interested. I'm going to be popping yeah, in. Yeah, it's Factory there, Studios. So. It's, okay. um, yeah. yeah, it's really, really good. Um, they're really nice, really nice things. And she's, um, <laughs> I've tasked her with making some cake stands for uh, uh, for us here, but... Um, I think they're quite problematic. So really, yeah, I, okay. I try not to ask her too much where yeah, how yeah. she's getting on yeah. with them. Don't, don't don't break the team. Yeah. So despite your uh, you know admitted lack of writing things down and lack of having a, a plan and a structure, you've been lucky. Customers came in, they bought yeah, stuff. Yeah. You've recruited a team. That's gone well. Mm -hmm. And then what? You you accidentally opened another site in Southbourne. <laughs> how the hell did that happen? Well, you decided you had too much time in your hands and you wanted to get yeah. up to two instead of three. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think. How did that happen? Yeah. Um, or we, why? We were very lucky. There's a wonderful restaurant um, in Southbourne called The Larder House. And every Saturday, or James, who runs that, uh, invites us down to sell some bread outside his restaurant on a Saturday morning. So um, it'd usually be Mark. He would fill the van up uh, of bread, bomb it down to Southbourne, set up a, a very sort of... Um, ad hoc market stall type of thing outside their restaurant and then just flog bread on yeah. the street really uh, for 
three or four hours on a Saturday morning and we built up a really good sort of regular trade and and Southport just had a very good feel for us that it, it there's some you know a few places we supply are already there um and so it was, when I first visited there when I moved back it when I it made me feel like I was in London again I don't know why it mm. just kind of yeah, Southwell's a funny it's, place, isn't it? I know James yeah. and Malada House well. We worked together for a couple of years, but yeah, you know, I love what James has created. Streets, but... It just felt, it just there was just a certain thing, and I, was yes. just, oh, I like this. I think it would work, and and it was then just sort of timing as to do we re- did I really want to do it? So I kind of put it off and ignored that sort of thing that was just that wanting to do it, and then a few things happened in, in personal life and whatnot and then I just thought you know what let's just go for it let's find somewhere let's find something small that is manageable that won't take too much um, time and yeah we managed to find a little shop um, so everything's still made in Ringwood and we, we take it down there on every morning um, uh, got a little team in there and, and, and they sell it from there and it and it works well for us really it's kind of although I I didn't have a business plan. I didn't write anything down. I always had an idea of how I thought it might go. That's actually what we've ended up doing. But um, it, it just makes you, it's made me just look at it slightly differently that having a, a, you know, one main central baking unit, is that a better thing than having a couple of smaller baking units that then sort of swap the products over so you make bread in one and, and pastries in the other and, a delivers to B and B to A, and that's kind of how I first thought about it. But because you put a wood oven in the one in Southbourne, did you? <laughs> is, that, is that still there? Uh, yeah, that is still there. Yeah, but um, yeah, it's not been fired yet. Um, Why? <laughs> um, that, that that little thing called time. Okay, <laughs> fine. Finding the time to to do it. It was a case that we were going to we we're fitting it out, and we do pizza nights here at the at the Ringwood site once a month and they're really popular and go down really well and I thought well it'd be nice to do some there so let's put a pizza oven in when we start and then at some point we'll find time it's been nearly a year now and we've not found that yet so anything that starts with the word night must be a challenge what time do you go to bed ah, 10 o'clock really yeah I just survive on very little Four sleep, sleep and a wow. lot of caffeine yeah okay yeah, that's and the coffees. you know when you're doing something you enjoy it doesn't actually yeah, 100%. It doesn't feel like I work. <laughs> no, but if you start doing pizza good. nights that finish at uh, 12, that would be that would be the end oh, of Oh, no. Seat. Well, the, the pizza nights we do here... Uh, but you say nights, that's 4pm? <laughs> no, it, well, it starts at 5.30 and is usually done by about 8, 8.30. Okay. People yeah, just come down. It's a very short <laughs> It's a short burst, night. But, we, you know, I think the last one, we knocked out about 140-odd pizzas. It's well, just nice. an insane thing to do yeah. and we're already knackered on a Thursday yeah. and we've got the rest of the weekend ahead of us but it's good fun it's weird isn't it how we get sucked into this uh, this addiction yeah. of uh, yeah, yeah. And creation it, I think there probably is a bit of you can kind of do get a bit addicted to it you mm. don't when you start to stop you go well I've got this free time now we should really be doing something else and what, what can we fill that with and yeah, if you can bake it, then yeah, <laughs> yeah, start yeah. there. Yeah, I have a wood, a wood-fired oven down on the beaches. Yeah, yeah, you know, and that uh, that pumps out some pizzas, and it's uh, it's bonkers. It's good, it's good fun, but it is, I mean, it's in insane because in the summer, be, yeah, yeah um, you know, it's just nuts. We can do four or five hundred pizzas a day uh, in the summer, and then four or five a day in the winter <laughs> so it's, a, it's another ridiculous yeah, business it's a bit of a balancing act but we haven't got time to talk about that because um, 
one of the things that I want to start about. So we, we we went off on a little bit of a bread tangent, but I just want to go back to uh, what's it called? It's the starter dough, basically. So the whole thing yep. with sourdough, getting mm-hmm. a bit geeky again for a minute, That's is fine. this starter dough, which which often is like you know hundreds of years old. Can you just talk to me? Yeah, so you, to most people eating something that's hundreds of years old, they're going to assume they're going to die. So, so yeah, just take yeah. me through how this works. So it's just a it's a culture. You know, sourdough is based on a culture, and it's just keeping it alive and feeding it, adding flour and water to it on a a fairly regular basis. Will do that. So, if um, somebody wants to do this at home, literally, it's flour and water. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so if you want to create a sourdough starter, it is a case of mixing flour and water together. Um, you know, you could do it in a kilner jar or a Tupperware pot, whatever you fancy. Mix it up, leave it for 24 hours at room temperature. Um, come back to it. There might be a bubble or two on the surface. Probably not at this stage. Either way, add flour and water to it again, equal parts. Mix it up, leave it at room temperature again. We're leaving it at room temperature because that's sort of really good fermentation temperature for bread. Um, leave it for 24 hours, come back to it. Same process, add a bit more flour, a bit more water, mix it up. And you do this for about four or five days, and day on day you'll see, begin to see more and more bubbles appearing on the surface. And that's the, these naturally occurring yeasts that are in the flour on our hands. Some people put um, some dried fruit, some raisins, something like that, in their starter to activate the, uh, the fermentation. I, to be honest, I've never bothered. I've just used organic, good organic wholemeal flour, and away you go. And these are bacteria fundamentally yeah, 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 feeding yeah. on this process. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, these naturally occurring yeasts that are everywhere. Um, and... And that's it. Right. So, and, and, the, and then when you start to turn that into bread, you just take a bit of it at yeah, a time. So, to... Yeah, essentially. We take a, small, a bit of our starter, bulk it up, um, and that gets left overnight. And that bulked up um, uh, mixture is then put into the final dough. Um, and so I, I, I teach these classes and, and what we do on a day-to-day basis here when we make a couple of hundred loaves, you can scale that down to a single loaf and do it in your kitchen at home and it works exactly the same. There's a few differences in terms of baking. Not everybody's got a big deck oven in their in their kitchen, but you can turn a little domestic oven into a um, something suitable for baking a single loaf of bread. Uh, uh, baking loaves of bread in cast iron pots works incredibly well. Um, so I try to show people that. And it, um, yeah, it, it's a, something that is very easily replicated and it's just all based on the on the the fermentation of your starter. So, so you've made that sound very simple, but some of these uh, starter cultures go back literally yeah, so, hundreds so, of years. So what's, what's I've got two here. So I have um, a wheat one, which I created when I started the bakery here. So that's three and a bit years old. Um, and then I have a rye starter, which was given to um, myself and, and a few of the other guys at E5 Bakehouse. Uh, a customer um, said, this is my grandmother's, would you guys like some? And always wanting something for free, we've absolutely pass it over, and and that's and still got some here. So amazing. And what does that when you say you know would you like so is this a little jar? How does that? How yeah, does that yeah, come? yeah. So well, um, we could have a little jar. I think it depends on when they came into you... E five though and gave you a bit. Yeah, so it would have just been a couple of hundred grams. Right, um, much. And at home, that's what you'd keep here. Depending on how you do it, every bakery has their own little tweaks. Um, but yeah, it's. Uh, and had that one been to Lapland or something? Was that yeah, yeah. The, <laughs> Does that help? Her grandmother's, her grandmother lived in Lapland, created it in Lapland, and then it sort of travelled to 
to the to London to Hackney, and it's been a you know. I love that. Me. I love that. I, I, I don't know if there's any point to it, but it's just some people get very attached to great it. Great. I mean, story, the it? It, it's been diluted quite a lot since yeah. its original. No reindeer left in it. No. <laughs> um, so yeah, it, you know, it's a hell of a good story. So. Yeah. You, no, it's great. You, you, isn't don't, it? yeah. you know, people do get attached to where their starter came from and how old it is. But um, does it does it make any difference? I, 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 I get, it's kind of down to opinion as well. So you know, you can read lots of different things, and everybody has a different opinion. Some people will say that they will create a new starter every every six weeks. Um, seems like a bit more effort, so I've never I've never bothered. Right. <laughs> um, but then other people will, you know, will advertise the fact that their starter is a hundred years old. Right, that seems so. I don't yeah, know, I contradictory think, that there's yeah, two camps. Yeah, oh, absolutely. And... But um, I, I think it just depends on on what side of the fence you fall. And um, for me, I think it's a good story. There will obviously be an element of the the original bacteria that started the um, the culture in your starter, but it will have been diluted a lot, and. Will it take on characteristics of the flower and the the environment in which you're working as much as it will its original um, form? It's, you know, it's up for debate, and I, I, I don't know. I think I change my my idea as to where which way I fall. Okay, is there a trade in starters? Can you go to places and kind of buy starters? Yeah, from, well, I mean, you know, with people, random histories, yeah, that absolutely. People use people, as part of the marketing. Yeah, and stuff people will buy a, a San Francisco sourdough starter on the internet that will come in a little dried out powder and they will then you know add it to flour and water and that will be their sourdough starter but uh it just seems a bit bizarre to me when you can just start it with flour and you're not gonna you're not basically gonna cut into that loaf and go oh wow look that's a californian sourdough or whatever you're not gonna notice i'd be surprised if somebody would be able to sort of pinpoint that um you know i i think as a baker we have a, a job to give it out really I think if somebody wants some sourdough starter pop into the bakery and <clears throat> we've always got a lot kicking around so we're happy to, oh, really? to give you know you're lucky this isn't Tim Ferriss podcast where there'd be like you know 10 million people listening to this going <laughs> yeah. great I'm on my way to Ringwood for some free Lapland starter yeah yeah, yeah. But uh, it, don't worry know, we'll probably be able to manage the, uh, the demand yeah, we'll get a rush <laughs> but it, you might in about two years when somebody well, listens to knows. this and uh, yeah, let me know but I, I, again I still think it's something that bakers should do give you know a, a bit of sourdough starter isn't there's not how can you can't really attach much of a price to that, and yeah. I think the more people baking bread at home, the is the better. If you're eating good bread, then actually, you know, I'd like to think that we're making bread that can't be uh, repeated on a daily basis at home. Really, just because when you've got a, you know your normal life carries on, it's very difficult to be making a loaf of bread a day or whatever it is you eat. So you know, as long as people are still coming in and buying the occasional loaf off us, we'd be fine. And uh, But the more people baking at home, the better. Mm. I think it's a um, only a good thing for us, really. Yeah, yeah. I think it gets, gets people more interested. What you want them to do, presumably, is stop eating crap bread, make your own bread or come out and buy yeah. decent yeah, bread. Yeah, yeah, and, and know what you're putting in your bread. Like We put flour, water and salt and people can watch what we're doing and what yeah. we're putting in the dough. Um, it always makes me... I always think it's funny about how you get these old bakeries that are behind a door. And you think, what's going on back there then? Yeah, opening well, sachets of quick, quick yeah, quick yeah. Yeast. And you, you hear about people who have worked in in supermarket bakeries, and they get everything. You know, you get a sack of flour, so they weigh the flour into the mixer, weigh the water, and then you get an orange bag, mm. and that's got the 
everything in there from your emulsifiers to your dough improvers, all these whole host of different E numbers, all sorts of different things that don't actually get they don't need to be in there. And what's their objective? That's that speed and consistency. Consistency, yeah. I would so have thought. And, and speed. They want to be able to knock stuff out quickly. And mm. whereas actually we're all about trying to slow it down. Yeah. It's, that's where the name comes from, is it? Twenty four. Oh no, that's just the postcode. Oh, is it? To, yeah, I needed to think <laughs> okay. of a name for the bakery and it's um I thought it was a bit of a nod to E5 Bakehouse where I started. It, yeah. The, the postcode's BH24, so oh, Bakehouse 24, that kind okay. of works. But you didn't rename Southbourne? No, I, <laughs> it was, uh, yeah, I, I did have a think about it. Should we still call it Bakehouse 24, but it's BH5? I was like, oh, I'll just call it Bakehouse 24, that's yeah, easy perfect. then. Job, job done. We'd, yeah. we'd add, you know, we had all the, the window graphics, all the logos already done, so it's like, I'll start it, that'll do. Yeah, yeah. No, perfect. Um, have you noticed much of a change? So you've been involved now, you know, it's a decade pretty much, I suppose. Mm. Has there been a big change competition-wise? Are a lot more people doing this? Are these kind yeah, of micro-bakeries yeah, yeah. opening sort of up where, more? At E5, we were one of the, there were a few few good sourdough bakeries but in the little area where we were in Hackney we were sort of the first bakery and then by the time I left I think there was maybe five bakeries within probably a mile radius all doing very similar things and that that was in six years which I think is crazy down here there's not quite as many but there are there are a few I think it's always you have to champion them there's a, a great place up in um in uh, Boscombe, sort of towards Pokestown, called Ems Bakery. I think they, you know, do some great stuff in there. A good place over in Southampton. You know, there, there are a lot. There are more things happening. It's a bit, obviously, a bit slower outside of London, but it's not, 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 not a bad thing. Um, and for me, I think competition's a good thing. I've never, I've never seen competition as a, as a negative. If it makes you look at what you're doing and, and go, well, I need to improve what I'm doing because their stuff's bloody brilliant. Great. How's that a bad thing? Um, yeah, so perhaps not if they opened next door, <laughs> but, <laughs> you know, and it's the- good to keep you on your toes. Yeah. When I was chatting to Michael Stokes, who you mentioned earlier as well, so he's he's been, I don't know, milling, I can't remember how long it was, but let's say 30 years at mm. least. So he's seen real changes in trends and in cycles multiple times, I suppose, yeah. between, you know, good bread, bad bread, uh, fads, things come along. What's your thought? And you mentioned earlier about whether this is a, is a fashion. What's your thoughts on the longevity? Where's this going to go in the next 10 years? Is there room to be, uh, to carry on being inventive? Is this going to be short term, long term? Well, I think I... I'd like to think it's here to stay. <laughs> I might be able to spot a bother if it's not. Um, <laughs> You're committed. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I think it. I think it has to be because why would you, having found something that's better for you and is a better product, although it comes with a little price premium, why would you then go? Actually, I'm going to go back to my white sliced. I mean, yeah, it would be madness for it to to not, in my opinion. Um, where would it go next? I don't... I'd like to think, actually. Um, and there's a, a few people who I've worked with um, from E5 who have gone on to set up bakeries. And it's something that I'm going to start to do here now that we're getting a bit more time. And is it really sort of looking towards using UK grain? So a lot of the, the wheat that we will be um, milling or a lot of the flour that we'll be using, rather, um, isn't UK grain. So our, all our wholemeal is UK, grown in the UK, but our white flour will be sort of a mix of UK grain and 
supplemented from stuff grow, grown elsewhere, Ukraine, Kazakhstan, Canada, wherever the, the grain merchant sources it from. And that seems... Yeah, Is that bit. based on cost or are they trying to blend um, grains for different reasons? A, a few different reasons, but, you know, historically we're told that the UK doesn't have a great... doesn't have good climatic conditions for growing wheat, that you can't get high protein content. But actually, that's not true. You, the grain you grow in the UK is much softer. So it's harder to work with. You have you can't put it through big commercial mixers. But actually, we don't want to be putting it through a big commercial mixer. We want it to be a, you know, a smaller quantity, smaller batch size. So I want to look to, to start to move over our, our, our grain to a UK, solely a UK grain. Um, I need to talk to Michael about that. I know that he does mill some and it's just sort of, for him, I would imagine it's demand. If there's not enough demand for it, then commercially is it worth him doing so i'm the last time i spoke to him he was milling some so it's the next step really and it's where i'd like to the bakery to look at um there are lots of places that are doing it and you know it's what what was going on at e5 as i was leaving you right. know they're growing their own wheat and, and mm. milling it on site yeah and it's it seems to be you know the trajectory of food at the moment and again you don't know if you're just in, in that niche because we're in that industry but this desire to minimize environmental impact food miles mm. yeah, yeah not to make stuff travel unnecessarily but also story i suppose yeah it would it would feel like a, a natural kind of next step i know do you know if you heard the company hobmadods but i was yeah, reading yeah, about yeah. all the kind of lentils and then bringing back some of the kind of uh, more unusual grains and actually this uh I should say quest, but actually this this nigh on necessity that we're going to need to change our diet. I mean, there's been a lot in the last few months um, mm. from the World Health Organization, and, and I forget the names of the groups, but basically people looking at how are we going to feed the planet. You know, we, yeah. we were touched on earlier about Helen Browning and the podcast I did with her around organics, and actually, Which is brilliant. Thank really you. Yeah, that. good. Yeah, me too. I learned so much. But yeah, how how are we going to feed 10 billion people on planet Earth without screwing it up? And actually, getting back to more kind of uh, grains and more plants rather than more meat seems to be um, just you know, have less kind of common sense consensus now that that needs to be the way. So that would make me think that the future of, of people who are making really good nutritious products using local grains, that's got to be a good sign because yeah. it's, it's better to eat the grains than to eat the cow from a kind of efficiency perspective, let alone any other uh, yeah, take yeah, on yeah. stuff. Yeah, yeah, it's, it does make sense. It's just how, uh, for me, I just, it interests me how is it going to, change for the masses it's very easy to be in a bit of a bubble certainly when you are in if you're in london you're in a bit of a london bubble and you kind of think that everyone outside of london is doing exactly the same actually that's not really the case or if you're in a bubble and you talk to certain people about certain things you, you again you can be a little bit closed how's it going to change for the how can you change it for the people who who do want the, the the ease of going to the supermarket every well, not every day once a week and do, buying things online? How can you affect their buying habits and their eating habits? Not, you've not nailed that yet. I was just hoping no. you were going to give the answer, and I was going, "Oh, that's really no, useful. Thank you very much." Um, I have the same yeah. thing trying to keep people out of harvesters and uh, weather spoons and stuff like that, and go, you know, please come I to mean, the smaller. Need a cheap pint, and yeah. that's fine. But <laughs> but on on the whole, it, it, yeah. it's trying we should to try and have both. Yeah, try and, and and try and get people to think about what it is that they're buying. Yeah, like like sort of what you said that the point of the podcast. Yeah. So actually, if they're buying a burger, who's think about the people behind that one thing that you're about to eat. Yeah. That there's actually a lot of yeah. people involved in 
where you spend your money fundamentally impacts the world we live on and if we want the world to be beige spend it all in the big chains and buy crap bread and if you want yeah, the world yeah. to be a rainbow and have this diversity <laughs> yeah. and uh, you know support people like, yeah. like you and the team that you employ then sometimes walk past the supermarket pop into your little local bakery Absolutely. what's your plans for the business going forward then I know you're, you're, you're anti-plans but now you've got two <laughs> uh, some, and I'm the same I've, I've not had a business plan I still don't really know what I'm going to do when I'm a grown up yeah. but, but do you know what's uh, do you know what's uh, next yeah, how far ahead have you looked yeah, I'm just playing at being grown up, to be honest. Yeah, um, we all are. Yeah, um, I don't, I don't know. I, I'll be honest. The, the, listening to the podcast, and it's something that we have, we've done it in the bakery a lot, and everyone sort of has has dipped in and out of them. And and I, for me, I found it really interesting to hear other people's stories, and find, in some ways, find it reassuring that they go through. You all go through a similar struggle, and although there's slight differences, but it's made me kind of look at what I'm doing and how the business is shaped for me, you know, working six or seven days a week, 12 to between 12 and 16 hours a day. It's like, well, that's not necessarily what I got into the business for. I love it and it doesn't bother me at this stage, but what's the, I can't, it can't go on forever. Sustainable forever. So, you know, how do I, what can I do to, to change that? And I learning to sort of, delegate and give people responsibility and actually it's a great thing because you then see them begin to sort of really take that on and and you know it's reassuring you think well actually I have got the team behind me to to be able to do that to be a bit more hands-free and um where where it will go from now I don't know I think sometimes I think that we're limited by the space here in Ringwood. We can't, on certain days, make much more than we do at the moment, and, which isn't a huge, huge amount. So do, do we need to look at a different baking site? There's lots of different ideas that are floating around in my head, but <laughs> depends on what side of the bed I get out on. <laughs> depends on what, what I'm thinking at that given moment. Um, do you sell mainly to direct to consumer or do you do a lot of wholesale um, to restaurants? The, so we've got the two the two shops. So we sell to you know to at retail, but then we've got I think maybe thirty about thirty two wholesale customers now, and that varies from a little farm shop that might take five or six loaves a week, once a week, um, through to you know cafes and restaurants that take daily deliveries have you got the capacity to bake more if there's more restaurants and bars out there who need product can you i struggle to say no and i think most people do and when you actually kind of learn to say no it actually becomes easier um but i we kind of just figure it out and there are some days where we get our maths horrifically wrong and we've got about five loaves of bread on the shelf and you think oh god we're a bakery with no bread again but (laughs) we kind of make sure that our wholesale customers get what they've ordered Mm. um so yeah there's a bit of capacity but we need to have a bit of a a rethink as to how we're structured in here to to make more basically exciting at least the demands there though that's a good, yeah. it's a much better problem to be in than oh my god nobody wants our bread and yeah, what are we going to yeah, do yeah. and how are we going to stay afloat the, the, the yeah, deciding the trajectory it's a little bit of a i'd like to think a win-win you go left it's it's one solution you go right it's one solution yeah, but as, yeah and as, i think i'm not i'm you know i'm i'm not against just trying something and then holding my hands up and go well that didn't work yeah you know, you, you i think got it's to, key you got to 
sometimes sticking or twisting it's difficult to know whether it's the right is now the right time when we did Southbourne was it the right time to open a shop and I thought well well it's either going to work or it's not let's just go for it and hopefully action always beats intention and uh, <laughs> yeah. and the paralysis of analysis drives me bonkers so yeah. I think yeah the difference between so many people who will constantly think about doing stuff there'll be a lot of people who listen to this podcast and go oh, should I do it should I do it? Mm. I've been thinking about it I've been thinking about it and uh, yeah sometimes you've just got to start you've just got to go start. for it and just at the end of the day what's the absolute worst that can happen yeah everyone's winging it I think that's the key thing I learned a long time ago <laughs> everyone is winging it and I was fortunate enough to learn that at sort of 20 where yeah. some people get to 50 yeah um, and once you get that once you get like you don't know how to run uh, whatever your business is going to become yet you've got no idea you don't even know what it's going to become what's gonna, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm opening a restaurant in about 12 days time I don't know how to run it I know how to run it better than I did 15 I, I, years ago I when I did the first one I believe but... that you're yeah, opening in 12 <laughs> days and you're sat here <laughs> chatting. I, well, that, be... that comes back to your thing about, you know, what, how exciting it is when you can recruit a team around yes. you and actually they don't want me to meddle in everything anymore. You know, they've worked with me for a number yeah, of years yeah. and they're like, will you just bugger off and get out yeah, of the office? And, and, because... I th- and I think, you know, there, there's always, not always, there's often somebody be able to do what you're trying to do better than you. Definitely, so actually, why not definitely. give them the, yeah. the chance to do that? Um and you'd be better off for it. And, yeah. And yeah, that's... And if I didn't, then nobody would have heard this amazing story about the crazy dude whose mates were in a band and baked the cake <laughs> and then yeah. ended up here all these years later. But talking about the business side of it, is there any uh, is there any particular advice that you've either heard yourself and gone, that's bollocks, ignore that, or any really good advice where you've gone, that nugget uh, saved my bacon? Um, I didn't necessarily act on it when somebody said it to me and it's only kind of <laughs> now that I go oh that was actually spot on it was kind of valuing your time at the start I thought well I'll try and do everything that's going to be the cheapest the easiest way of doing it if I try and do everything it just means that some of the stuff doesn't get done and you know <laughs> paperwork is not my forte um, and Although we're sat at my desk now, pretty much, and it's not too. It's bad. actually very tidy. <laughs> I mean, that was a mad half hour. Yeah, yeah, yeah but I am impressed. Disrespectful before Mark turns up. <laughs> and, um, yeah, and getting people, giving people a chance to do things, not necessarily for you, but sort of, you know, for the business, and and so you can better use your time. Yeah. It's yeah. a really hard balance to get right that. And it is the cliche yeah. of work on your business, not in your business. But the flip side is, you know, can't use that as an excuse to uh, to just to delegate everything and not be there in the thick of it, yeah. particularly in the early days. You know, well, I don't, there's no part of my business that I've not done from being the, you know, the housekeeper to the chef to the barman. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and you know, I'm so grateful that I didn't just inherit some cash and buy a restaurant. Uh, but I actually kind of, you know, I did every job because now you can articulate with anybody in the business about their job and, and actually mm. have respect. You know, the amount yeah, of respect yeah, I've got for my housekeepers and my chefs uh, is huge. So, yeah, getting that balance right is really challenging. But you're right. At some point, Point. at some point you've got to go right I need to put my head above the, the parapet now yeah. above the water and, the, and just the, the look thing for the that future. I'm at now is that do I to rather than work in your business and work on your business I'm probably at that stage where I need to my, have my hands less in the dough and working on the business and doing other things yeah but that's the bit that I enjoy the most and the reason why I started it so it's you kind really of have hard. this real yeah. almost daily struggle of yeah. oh, I should probably not 
be doing right this right now yeah. I should have yeah and it, it carries on and it's the same in most industries I think but I've got so many in my team are the same they get promoted to the point where they don't like their job anymore because yeah, yeah, I used yeah. to really love being on the coffee machine on a Sunday morning getting my ass kicked being the barista and now <laughs> I'm the manager and I'm sat in the office filling in the rotor spreadsheets for next month and filling in the P&L forecast or yeah, whatever yeah. And they're like hey, and you, you get them to the point where they hate their job so I guess variety is the key and, yes uh, yeah yeah, yeah. I, I'd, I'd like to think that I will always have my hands in dough and Good. doing some 3am starts not perhaps every day, not every day. but no. I, I still want to retain some some well, of the baking yeah hats off to you because you have uh, you know I've, like I say I've told that story so many times about respect to the people behind the scenes and that baker who gets up every morning and I've, I've never actually interviewed one apart from my own who yeah. also start uh, ridiculously early um, but I think people should just appreciate more whenever they tuck into a decent loaf of bread and know that there's a human being behind that who's yeah, gone yeah. through some immense sacrifice well um, I mean yesterday you know it, not blood but sweat and and tears. Our, our baker yesterday broke his finger lifting a 25 kilo sack of flour and slipped. And, and so the last two days have just been absolutely madness of, you know, spinning Graft. plates and not letting them drop. Yeah. But, well, uh, you know, these things happen. And it's in which case, uh, you know, respect and gratitude to you as well for yeah. also sparing the time and taking an hour out of your uh, your busy day. To, uh, the, the afternoons are all right for me. They're, uh, <laughs> You're really ready for bed. <laughs> yeah, not far um, Cool. So, where can people find out more if they want to if they want to buy your bread or they want to follow your story? Where do um, they go? Uh, come and say hello in either of the shops in, in Ringwood or Southbourne. Um, the usual social media, Bakehouse Twenty Four. Um, we've got a website um, which is woefully out of date. Um, that's kind of the next one of the next projects of updating that. But um, yeah, just the usual places: Instagram, Facebook, like those sorts of things. Perfect. Okay, cool. Well, look, um, thank you for sparing the time. I'm looking, pleasure. I'm looking forward to uh, the trouble with doing these podcasts, is right? I'm driving my wife bonkers because I get home at night and I can't help but share some of the stories. But also, I'm just becoming even more of a food snob. You know, I've always been pretty bad having yeah, a restaurant, yeah, yeah, yeah. but I, I will do my best, although it will drive her crazy uh, and, and never eat any, you know, shit bread again. Well, um, so thanks for the inspiration. You need, you need a bit of white sliced in your life every now and every again. Now and again. But usually, it's a. Uh, bacon brown sauce and a hanger yeah yeah it's very true Uh, very true yeah yeah. perfect okay but thank you for the time and uh, yeah I'll see you soon cheers Pete thank you very much So there you have it. You have reached the end of another episode of the Humans of Hospitality podcast. I thank you so much for listening. Please go and visit our website, humansofhospitality.co.uk for the show notes and extra episodes and information. And whilst you're there, don't forget to sign up for our newsletter and to receive free materials all about the humans behind our incredible industry. Lastly, if you could subscribe, rate and review this podcast, you will be massively helping me out and it would be hugely appreciated. Thank you so much. We'll be launching another podcast in just seven days time. Cheers. Cheers.